Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. So, that being said, on to the show, Mark Schneider here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Absolutely, Mark. We're talking about nuclear energy today, and this is a topic I've been getting just tons of people saying, Brian, please, can we can we do an episode focusing on nuclear energy? I've had Alex Epstein on the program. He did his moral case for fossil fuels where we actually we looked at a little bit of nuclear energy. We talked about I'm not sure if you're familiar over on Netflix. Uh, Zach Efron did his down to earth series where he traveled all around the globe. And uh, his first stop was to uh, I forget the, the type of planet it was, but it was funny because we didn't even talk about nuclear in the episode. And Zach Efron's dad is a nuclear scientist. <laughs> and uh, and Alex pointed that that was a little weird uh, omission in the, the conversation there talking about al- alternative forms of energy. But yes, nuclear energy. I've heard this brought up time and again. Brian, you need to have somebody in the show to talk about the value of nuclear energy going forward and really to show if people aren't really talking about it, they're not really serious in the conversation for renewable energy going forward. So with that being said, Mark, introduce yourself to the program and what got you so fascinated that you wanted to talk about nuclear energy here on a libertarianish podcast? Hey folks, happy Friday. Really quick, want to go ahead and give a shout out to one of our awesome sponsors here at The Brian Nichols Show, and that is Right Strategies. Now, whether you are someone who's looking to amplify your message where your voters are or where your customers are, don't worry, look no further. Right Strategies specializes in the unique challenges of both running political campaigns and running a small business in the digital landscape. With a proven track record of helping clients win elections and grow their businesses using smart, strategic digital marketing, Right Strategies is gonna be the perfect partner to help you reach your goals. And their awesome team of of experts are gonna help you save time and money while helping you amplify your message to help win your elections and also win in the marketplace. Also, Right Strategies has this really great SMS texting feature, which will help you receive an efficient, affordable, and smart way to focus your marketing budget. By helping you reach thousands of voters and customers, Right Strategies is going to help you make a powerful impact on the outcome of your elections and your business growth. From social media management to expert graphic design work to marketing your product or campaign or heck, even building your brand, Right Strategies can put together a plan that makes sense for your goals and do so with a budget that makes sense. So, if you want to learn how Right Strategies can help you win your elections or help you grow your business, head to briannicholshow.com and guess what? You can get a free political campaign or marketing plan report card from uh, Morgan and her team over at Right Strategies. Just do me a favor. Make sure you let her know that I sent you. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash RS, amplifying your message where voters and customers spend their time. And now back to our conversation with Mark Schneider. Um, all right. So, uh, so I did, I spent 23 years in the nuclear industry. Um, I served in the Navy, uh, on, op, worked on both submarines and aircraft carriers. And then, uh, I did three years working for Dominion Energy. And, uh, now it's just kind of a hobby. I promote, uh, you know, nuclear energy. So that's kind of the quick background on myself. I was an operator. You go through lots and lots of, uh, of training on how nuclear physics works and all that. Um, but the big thing that really started fascinating me. Um, and my wife is also a nuclear engineer. We have the nerdiest pillow talk on the planet. <laughs> um, but, uh, but oh, that's good. She's way smarter than me. But you know, we started we talk and, and communicate and discuss things about you know uh, the advanced reactor design systems. 
right? And so really for, you know, fun and entertainment, I did a bunch of research and learning about these, these advanced designs and how they operate. And some of them are super, super fascinating and super cool. And uh, I, I like, I'm going to bring it right up from the beginning because it's a super awesome design. And that's the, uh, the Aurora, which is by a company called Oaklo. Uh, this reactor went into licensing licensing process um, on March 11th, 2020. It's a three-year licensing process. Federal regulation requires a three-year time period. It's arbitrary. It just is. Uh, but it is, um, it's going to run on uh, spent nuclear fuel or nuclear waste, as everyone likes to call it, uh, from EBR2, which was a test reactor uh, back in the 1960s that operated into the 80s. So we've got a react a new brand new reactor design. Um, it's it's a it's a micro reactor, meaning it's small, so it can be built in a factory. So you build most of the components in factories, put it, you know, you do most of your testing, bring it together at the final site, um, assemble modules, uh, do your final testing, and then bring the reactor online, which is going to reduce uh, the construction costs and construction times. The the nuclear industry is actually really good at this. Uh, if you look behind, you see USS Washington. That's a version of a modular reactor. That's nu a nuclear-powered submarine, and we build them in a factory. The U.S. is turning out a nuclear reactor every six months that way. Um, so, you know, we have the capability of it, but it's primarily on the shipbuilding side. So we can do this, you know, land-based size. The Aurora is a 1.5-megawatt reactor that's about a 1,000 homes, and it fits on a quarter-acre lot. Quarter-acre lot's your standard um, lot of uh, uh, for a... Um, uh, you know, home, right? Just a standard suburban home is on about, about on a quarter acre. Um, hmm. But the big thing with nuclear energy is nuclear energy does not produce CO2. Um, if, if you're concerned about carbon emissions or, uh, as a greenhouse uh, gas and causing global warming, then this solves that. Uh, nuclear energy produces, by the way, 20% of the power in the United States. And it produces about 10% of the power worldwide. Uh but this new reactor is an advanced design that no one has really, you know, thought about uh, as far as going into this small with nuclear uh, for the purposes of, you know, producing power. But, um, you know, these things are designed to where you basically fuel them once every 20 years. So you put a you know, new reactor core in every 20 years. And that's a relatively simple process with the Aurora reactor design. Um, and that's one of the things that's really fascinating. But the big thing when you talk nuclear energy, I do like to talk about the impact that nuclear has had with renewables. So in 2009, uh, California decided to shut down, uh, it's called Songs to Santa Ofer Nuclear Generating Station down, uh, it was just north of um, uh, San, uh, San Diego in the Southern California area. And that's the day, the year that the, uh, the rolling blackouts began in California every summer. And then now we see right now that uh, Governor Cuomo and the mayor of New York City are talking about how uh, New Yorkers need to conserve their electricity in the summer because they're about to have to, or they're going to have to go into rolling blackouts. Well, literally two months ago, they shut down Indian Point uh, nuclear power generating station. So every time we see we shut down nuclear, um, you see the fact that renewables can't keep up. So they have to, uh, you know, basically use rolling blackouts or that to switch over to fossils. And in a lot of cases, it's both. Uh, when New York shut down Indian Point, their carbon emissions spiked by 35% overnight. So that's one of those crazy things when you look at it, that 
we know nuclear is carbon free and we have evidence of it. And, you know, so we know it can. And but the big thing is getting to the future about how do we go from these large scale reactors that take a decade to build onto, you know, how quickly can we build these? And when you get into modular construction, that's probably the best way to get there. Wow. That's a lot of notes to start off. I, my, so usually my, my paper I have here for my trusty notes when I'm going through and trying to recap episodes and, and, you know, stay up to date with what we're talking about is it's usually going to take about 25 minutes to fill a page. I think I have a full page right now in the first five minutes. So that's impressive because you're, you're going through and let's kind of start off here from how we approach things at the program through the sales based lens, right? Solutions based selling particularly. And in this, uh, in this really way you've outlined what nuclear is and the impact that nuclear has already, and then showing the impact that we know nuclear can have. And you're starting to touch on a lot of, well, I say a lot of, I say really num- number one, the number one objection I've seen about nuclear is the safety of, of nuclear, particularly in the waste of nuclear. Not only does this Aurora from Oklahoma run on nuclear waste, but it lasts for 20 years. That's like fascinating that's incredible that that the technology is to the point now where one of the main objections that i remember hearing is now being resoundly answered so i would say number one that's a great way to overcome that objection but let's be real mark there's going to be folks out there who are going to be fighting tooth and nail against nuclear so what are some of those common attacks that you hear from folks who say no nuclear is not the way to go what's their argument uh there are so, so the arguments usually come into nouns and those two it's two nouns uh, and it's Chernobyl and Fukushima because of the accidents. Um, Chernobyl was terrible, killed 51 people. Uh, you know, you have the area Priapit that is now an exclusion zone. Uh, Fukushima, we melted down three reactors, destroyed a total of four. Um, and I say we because I own that as part of the industry, right? I use we in this and that I'm going to own, own my failures. But we have to look at it. Those were, you know, 1960s design reactors. Um, and Chernobyl is the big one. What about Chernobyl? I said, well, Chernobyl didn't have a containment structure. So the containment, if it had one, it would have worked as design. It would have kept, you know, uh, the explosion that occurred because they had a steam explosion. And then with Fukushima, if we'd have let the, you know, if we'd have let the operators of, at TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, if we'd have let them actually do their job and not require the government to say yes to a bunch of things, those reactors wouldn't have exploded. Time out. Explain that. I'm curious. What do you mean the government not letting them do their jobs? What did the government do in Fukushima there not letting them do their jobs that could have prevented it? So um, when in the United States, the shift manager can release uh, radioactive gases into the atmosphere uh, because they have the, the health and safety of the public at the forefront. They don't have to ask permission. They're going to do it. And the government's going to respond based on the way the plant operates. That's how the U.S. does it. In Japan, in order to do that, they have to get permission from government entities. And so they didn't get the permission to vent off the gas. And because the reactor was generating a bunch of hydrogen gas, it built up and you basically had four little mini Hindenburg, actually macro Hindenburg explosions, right? So you have four hydrogen gas explosions. Casual. No big deal. Thanks, government. Isn't government great? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought, but I thought no, that was that, important to make sure we focused on. That's great. And then the other government intervention with with uh, both those events is that, you know, they have for these forced evacuations, right? They have got themselves and the public so afraid of radiation that you can't be anywhere near it. Radiation is bad. Radiation is bad. But there's a ban. 
there's actual studies that say that if you don't get enough radiation, you will actually die of cancer at higher rates than people who do receive radiation, right? Your body has to develop a defense mechanisms against those cancer cells that are produced in your body. You just don't, you have to find that right band. Um, and I'll tell you, the airline industry actually has higher rates of cancer due to radiation exposure than the nuclear industry does. Because pilots fly, they get a lot of solar radiation. Um, so, but it's natural, right? We always hear, well, it's natural, it's natural. Well, you know what? Cyanide is natural too, but I'm not going to go around, you know, inhaling a bunch of cyanide, right? So we have to understand that just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good for you. Um, so an understanding of the different aspects, you know, of how radiation works and all, and I've gone way into my train of thought, so I, I want to steer me back where I need yeah, to Yeah, 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 no, no. So we'll, we'll go back because the common objections, right? You start to touch on the first being Chernobyl, Fukushima, so those yeah. being tossed out. And then you start talking about more the radiation being bad. What other objections do you you see uh, going through the uh, the industry in terms of people standing against nuclear energy? So uh, the other one is uh, is cost, and we've already discussed that with the modular construction, right? So once you get modular construction, it it, it, it drops the price, and we know it drops the price. We've seen it um, in the industry. It's just no one wants to listen to the fact that we do it on on submarines all the time. Um, and then the big one, like we talked about, is the waste. And a lot of people, because the waste lasts a long time, right, but it's highly controlled. Nuclear waste has killed exactly zero people on planet Earth, right? And people don't realize that. You can walk up to a, you could go um, up to the uh, the Trojan power station, what's left of it, right? Trojan shut down in the 90s. And they're, literally all that's left is the switchyard and the casks that contain the nuclear waste, the spent nuclear fuel that Oklahoma can run on. And you can walk up and hug those things and no problem. Right. It's what you get. You got to pull these things apart. They're difficult to pull apart, you know. So in the ways to get talk about terrorism. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm a terrorist, I'm not going to a nuclear site to get the waste. I'm going to a hospital to get um, radiation therapy treatments. Right. Radiotherapy treatments because there's less security. It's easier to handle. It's portable. It's designed to be portable. Nuclear waste is not designed to be portable. It's designed to be the opposite of portable. So that's the other thing. And the other thing, well, it's going to stack up the quantity of it. So again, we talked about time, you know, the, the, how, how big they are or how much waste they generate. We haven't talked about the fuel density, right? A gummy bear of uranium contains as much energy as a ton of coal, right? So a giant mound of coal, like like three rail cars worth of coal, it, and I might have the numbers off here, is, is equal to one gummy bear. Your lifetime in a traditional nuclear reactor can be powered off of one soda can's worth of uranium. But if we switch to advanced reactor designs, you can power 20 lifetimes off of that one soda can of uranium because we're using all the energy instead of just 5% of the energy. So, and it's very dense. When you look at that submarine behind me, it operates for 33 years and the nuclear waste from it will fit in a 55 gallon trash can. So, huh. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So now folks, we've heard, we have the product. It is nuclear to the problem. 
we see folks out there, number one, energy, the energy crisis, number two, climate change. So let's focus on those problems right now. Right, now, We're offering the solution. We hear the objections. So now we know what to prepare for to overcome them. So let's focus on the positive outcomes. We're selling this to your average person. They're a little weary of nuclear because they've heard these objections throughout all of their life. Pretty much, they've you know they've watched the documentaries of the mutants from from Chernobyl, right? Wasn't that documentary or a mockumentary? That's right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So so when you're you're selling to folks, it's an, I would always argue it's important to help show that better future. So I'd say, Mark, let's give you the magic wand. You're you're helping us sell this to your average person, what would that magic future look like for folks if we did embrace this as a solution? In the world of wine, there are so many choices, and that's why Blood of Tyrants Wine has tyrants losing their heads. Whether you're looking for a new go-to at home or want to impress your friends at a party, Blood of Tyrants Wine has you covered. And if you're trying to get rid of some pesky tyrants in your life, well, we've got that covered too. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash wine and get $5 off your order. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash wine. Free men don't ask permission, so take a sip. You'll be glad you did. So um, that magic future would actually look a lot like France or Ontario, Canada. And they're very similar, right? Uh, in geographic size, not necessarily in population, but also an energy mixture, right? So um, France is uh, 70% nuclear, 25% hydro, and 5% others. And they have 5% carbon emissions in their electrical grid. Uh, Ontario is about equivalent to that. And when you compare that to Germany, which is, by the way, the most carbon emitting nation in Europe, which is basically embraced renewable energy, right? You can look and you can see the, the comparison of the two. You can basically remove all this, um, you know, all these pollutants you're putting in the atmosphere from uh, fossil fuels. But the other thing when you're looking at uh, nuclear energy um, is that nuclear energy actually has a great safety record. If you look at uh, the amount of deaths per unit of energy, nuclear has the lowest except for solar farms, right? And that's including Chernobyl. Wow. If you exclude Chernobyl, it becomes the lowest by a long shot. And part of that is the way the industry works. You have a government regulator and, and you know, we can, there are pros and cons to using the government in this. We have a government regulator that basically sits at the site, making sure that the operator or ensuring that the plant is following their safety protocols. They're using, you know, all the, you know, meaning, you know, not just, not just the nuclear aspect, but safety aspect, right? The number one killer of uh, people in the wind and wind and solar industry are falls, right? They're not wearing their proper safety gear. The, the United Kingdom is killing a person a month off of wind turbines alone. Right. Whereas the nuclear industry, it's, you know, I don't like talking about the death rate because this is a scary thing. But the fact is, the nuclear industry strives to actually get that to zero, whereas wind and solar's death is ramping up. In the United States, uh, roofers, you know, the roofing industry has seen a 15 percent increase in deaths due to rooftop solar installation. Right. So the fact is, is that when you look at wind and solar, they're not the same things that everyone wants to talk about. They're actually extremely dangerous because they're not very regulated. They don't have someone going around and watching them do that. Because half the time you go out to a wind farm, I have friends that they they were they they got out of the navy and went and worked in the wind wind industry because the pay is great. 
But they're climbing up on these three, you know, 100, 600 foot tall wind turbines by themselves. There's no one within miles of them. If they don't put their fall harness on, it's on them. But if you work at a nuclear plant, right, you've got other people around you. And I having done it, right, I had to wear a fall harness. And you did not dare walk up a ladder that required or, or an area that didn't require a fall harness without having that on out of risk of losing your job, right? So the fact is, or getting, and as a company, getting a fine by the regulator, right? So the fact is, is the nuclear industry has embraced regulation to a point of ensuring that safety is paramount in, you know, the idea of producing energy. Can I play devil's advocate now about regulation? Absolutely. Because back to your original point about the cost of regulation, you, you use Japan specifically. Is that maybe a threat, a looming threat? If we were to do our SWOT analysis of nuclear energy, one of those threats coming down the road was as nuclear energy becomes more and more prevalent, that that would incentivize more regulation that could lead to more disasters like Fukushima? So um, when you look at the advance, the advances in reactor technologies that can be installed in current reactor systems, um, and that we're, we're testing, the United, the United States is testing this stuff, and Russia and China are testing a lot of these things. Uh, there are fuel designs that basically would have, uh, that if they weren't, that exist today that are in the final phases of te- in commercial testing, that if you went and you put that fuel design into the reactors at Fukushima, like let's say we could go back in time to, to March 10th, 2011, if you stuck all those, uh, that fuel into those reactors, they may have melted down because of a lock, lo- loss of cooling, but they would not have generated any hydrogen gas. So you would have not had the explosions. So just with technologies that we have today that are, that are just almost down the line, that are, that are being installed, final phases to be mass used, we're seeing an improved in safety. And then when you do the designs like the Aurora, the Aurora actually uh, has safety features that prevent it from being able to melt down. And the United States proved this with the uh, the EBR2 reactor, actually. Uh, the EBR2 reactor, they showed that they could shut down, gave it a worse than Fukushima scenario. It shut itself down, went to a hot idle state, and stayed there till they decided to bring it back online. So with when you change the designs of reactors, uh, going away from water as your cooling, you actually develop a better safety margin. And that's one of the big arguments, the anti, you know, advanced nuclear arguments, like, well, but what about sodium? Sodium's explosive. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, liquid sodium is explosive if it gets in contact with water. But you put nitrogen blankets on these things, and it's, it's really not, there's actually never been an issue of a sodium explosion at a nuclear power plant. And by the way, Russia operates several of these on their submarines, and they have large-scale commercial reactors that operate using sodium coolant. You just haven't had them get tested against aliens, have you, Mark? Uh, you know, aliens or um, I, I like to think of velociraptors with freaking laser beams on their forehead. Like that's that's either that's, way. That's the, yeah, that's that's the big thing. Um, you know, uh, there, there's there's a famous article, at least nuclear famous article, talking about you know what happens if you were to you know breach a nuclear power plant and you know try to swim down to touch the. Uh, the, or what would happen to your body if you were to swim into the spent fuel pool where the where the spent fuel is is stored until it's into long term storage? And it talks about the effects of the radiation. But the very last line of the article says, "But don't worry, you wouldn't make it uh, past the first two feet 
uh, before your 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 blood basically filled the the top of the pool as you were you know riddled with bullets from the security guards. Ah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so let's do this. We're we're wrapping up. We're we've already painted the the better picture, but let's outline an objective timeline because I think this is where people sometimes are like, "This sounds great." Will I ever see this actually happen? You're talking about the Aurora. It's it's actually out there. It's a product that is now going into production. We're seeing it being embraced. So what's the timeline look for this nuclear future? Is this something we're going to see 5, 10, 15 years? Mark? So uh, right now, it's looking like uh, spring of 2023 that, uh, that uh, Oaklo should be breaking ground on their, their first Aurora in Idaho. Um in yeah, spring of 2023, also another company, New Scale, does uh, a, a, a more advanced design of a traditional reactor that's modular, smaller um, than the current large-scale reactors. And they've got a 12-unit facility that they're going to break, also in Idaho, they're going to break ground on um, as well right around that same time frame. Uh, Wyoming is in the process of changing legislation and uh, working to uh, with TerraPower to build a test reactor design there. Um, there are three three other government sites that are selected for advanced reactor designs. Um, the Russians broke ground and are building a uh, a brand new fast reactor that's going to run on nuclear waste out um, in uh, I think it's in more of the central area of Russia. I don't know specifically. The Chinese have several advanced designs that they are working on right now. So as a you know, when you look at the timeline, this stuff is here now under construction and it's rapidly uh, coming to the forefront. We see lots and lots of companies that are pushing forward, developing agreements. Um, last I heard, New Scale has agreements like 12 different countries uh, to build nuclear reactors in nations like South Africa, Poland, Ukraine, um, United States, maybe Canada, maybe the United Kingdom. So they're, they're looking, they're, their first 12 unit facility is going to break ground, but they're looking in the next decade, potentially like two to 300 of their, uh, 75 megawatt units. So, whoa. So really quick, what, what just, I know we have, we're getting short in time, but like, what is this going to look like? What will this do? I mean, is this going to be like if Tesla got his way in the early 1900s, like going forward, like the world would be, you know, floating cars right now? Is that kind of at the point where we're at where if we get this nuclear energy changing the way that we look at energy that, I mean, goodness, the sky's the limit? Yes, the sky is the limit. And when you're looking at the amount of energy that we have available to us, right, you know, everyone talks about, you know, how fuel is going to run out and all that. It's like right now I think there's enough in a available uranium reserve for like 80 years that's without you know uh sourcing new uranium um and that's that's just using our current light water reactor designs right you they only use they use actually 0.7 percent of the uranium and so you multiply that times basically 130 or something like that so now you've taken 80 times 130 and that's you know that's not even excluding what we have as other waste products that uh, is depleted uranium uses like tank bullets and stuff like that and armor uh, that we could then use as uh, as fuel. And then you get into thorium, right? I'm gonna give you a little bit of touch on thorium so you don't get you know too much beat up on on that. But uh, when you get into thorium, now we're, you know, so we have like 80 to like, you know, centuries, we're probably into the thousands of years and then thorium extends it into like, you know, 
tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Potentially, we have up to a million years of viable energy on planet Earth in the form of nuclear energy. Whoa, that's pretty darn cool. Well, how about that, folks? That's a that's a call to action right there. Ever heard one? Explore this as a solution. And we have a million years worth of energy right here on good old planet Earth. You don't need to go to Mars or wherever it is that Elon's going to go in the future. So with that being said, Mark, obviously we want to make sure we're able to continue this conversation with folks because this is something that I'm excited to, to learn more about, especially as we are heading towards that time for for aurora 2023 that's right around the corner folks believe it or not it's less than a year and a half away so with that being said mark uh, where can folks go ahead follow you support the work you're doing and obviously you want to go ahead and learn more um yeah so you can find me uh on twitter my twitter handle is at sub schneider as a sub is in submarine and my last name schneider um i like to make it simple um you know keep it simple stupid that's what they taught me in the navy so um but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the biggest thing, uh, you know. And I, I just kind of advocate. I, 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 you know, I go in and out of advocating for it just because I get busy in my life. I have six kids. I work full time. I'm going to college right now too. So, you know, it's you know I've got a busy life. So sometimes I just got I can't I, I can't do this hobbies as much. But, uh, six kids. Yeah, you were busy. Don't kid yeah. in there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much. We'll make sure we include all your links there in the show notes, folks. If you want to go ahead and continue the conversation, head over to the show notes, click the links there. And of course, with that being said, Mark Schneider, thanks for joining us on today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to The Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.